Jesus be seen and known in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. <clears throat> we, you know, as I was just praying, we, we looked at the veil. We looked at how uh, that, how it is that we manifest the will of God is by first being transformed in our, in our hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit. There's a transformation that happens, a work that the Holy Spirit does, and that comes first from revelation. So what we said is that revelation... The unveiling of our hearts to see Jesus brings transformation into our heart. And that transformation is what brings manifestation. Manifestation being the outward doing of the will of God. In so much of religion, there is a pressure to conform, to produce, to try to be good, to try to accomplish spirituality. And, and can I say, uh, like God said to his people through Moses, let my people go, that you are freed from that bondage of having to perform for God. You can't perform for God. You're never going to impress him. And that, in fact, he is the only one with the righteousness, but the that doesn't mean that we just kind of do as we will. God actually wants to bring a process of transformation that happens as we see him. And so uh, that's what we looked at last week. And I think it would be good for us to look at Jesus and to behold him. And so my trust is that as we look at the scripture that Jesus himself would be unveiled to us this morning. That we see him as we look at his word and, and five things that we're going to look at. It's maybe a little uh, ambitious, but we're going to try to whip through it. I mean, after all, there are four gospels, you know. We're not going to get through all of them. We're not even going to get through one of them. But, but five stages, five key points of the life of Jesus that tell us something about him. One is his virgin birth. That he is fully God and fully man. Then his life. I mean, I'm not going to cover his life, but his life was about bringing access, once again, of the, the administration of God's kingdom into our lives. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. Then there was his death, which shows Jesus as the perfect love of God. But wait, there's more. His resurrection shows us as the perfect power of God. And even beyond that, his ascension, that he is today ascended into the highest place. As we, the church, behold this one who is the head of this church. I mean the global eternal church. I'm not talking about this local church body. The church, capital Z. As, as we behold him, we are transformed into the same image that we behold. That is the purpose of God for the church. That the world looking at the church would see Jesus just like the world looking at Jesus one day saw the Father. So this virgin birth, let's start there. The virgin birth, Jesus is fully God and fully man. If you have a Bible or a Bible app and you are very speedy with it, you can quickly go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I listened to my message from last week, by the way, and I clearly said Exodus 33, but we'll, we'll move on. 
Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, obviously pay close attention to that word, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. I want to point out, we have a record of a particular human being. Her name was Mary. We have an identity of who she was. We know that she was a virgin. We know that she was married. We know that the name of the man that she was married to was Joseph. We know the house that she was from, the house of David. Or actually, Joseph was of the house of David. We know all of these things. And my point being, this was a human. The Son of God was born as an actual fetus in an actual human womb with actual human DNA. He, God, became fully man. That's what this is telling us. Now let's, let's drop over to verse 34 of that same chapter. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The idea being that when this promise came to her that she would uh, have a son, give birth to a son, she had not had any kind of sexual relations with a man by which she could become pregnant. And the answer is this. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. So we just found out the identity of the human part, Mary, married to a man named Joseph. Now we have the Holy Spirit coming upon this human, the power of the highest overshadowing you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. In other words, fully man, fully human, and yet clearly we see the DNA and part of the, the, uh, the seed, if you will, placed into her womb came directly from God himself by the Holy Spirit. The DNA of heaven. God himself. Fully man, fully God. So what is the relevance of this? Because that sounds very theological. It's very good. He's fully human, fully God. Well, what, what is, how is that relevant? Well, he's fully man. Let's touch on that for a second. That Jesus, this is huge, is able to identify and sympathize with every single sin and temptation that we will ever face. That is huge. Why? Because, capture this, the whole concept of Jesus being fully man and fully God is the coming together of God and man in one, in the person of Jesus. You guys didn't catch that. <laughs> As Rodney says, I'll talk to these people. <laughs> that, God, that God and man were separated. Thus the need for Jesus, the bringing together of man and God. And for that to happen, a holy God, who being holy cannot actually co-abide with the sin of man. And we have a problem because of that. God himself becomes man and is tempted in all points so that he can identify so that... We do not have to be shamed in approaching this holy God that we are otherwise not worthy of approaching. If you don't believe me, well, check this out. Hebrews chapter 4, listen to this. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize 
with our weaknesses. Can I ask you to think about what are your weaknesses? We're talking about sin. I'm not talking about I'm not good at algebra. We're talking about the things that would cause you to be disqualified to enter into the presence of God. How many of you have ever felt unworthy of approaching the presence of God? And while I don't want to in any way belittle the holiness of God, the fact that we aren't worthy of approaching the holiness of God, listen to what is being said. This high priest, Jesus, sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That word sympathize, the Greek word sympatheo, means to be affected with the same feeling as another, to sympathize with, to feel for, to have compassion on. Every single thing that you have done, are doing, will do, Jesus gets it. It's not that he glosses over it and you can kind of come, uh, you know, haphazardly into the presence of God embracing sin and not repenting. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about one who has been tempted in that very same thing and has the ability to help you. You can't overcome the sin, but guess who can? This isn't theory, by the way. I know what I'm talking about because he's done it for me. Not me. I'm not special. Jesus is. Let us, Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Are you catching this? Jesus being fully man identifying fully with us, paying the penalty for what it is that we have done that causes us to not be able to go into the presence of God because we are not holy as he is. It is Jesus' sacrifice that gives us the ability to come, not just come to the presence of God, come boldly, boldly to the, to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is all about access to God, this thing that Jesus has done. Now, he's also fully God. How is that perhaps significant? I, just, I mean, obviously, we're just highlighting some things today, but Jesus coming as fully God means that God, while we were still in our sin, mankind was still in our sin, God becomes one of us in that state to be with us. Now we understand why Jesus was prophesied to be Emmanuel, God, with us. Some of us in our thinking are so aware of why it is that we are not worthy of that. And God is saying, I come to you. Jesus says it this way, you did not first love me, I first love you. I actually, he says, you didn't cho choose me, I chose you. And we love him because, anybody want to fill, fill that one? He first loved us. The gospel, in fact, my friends, is good news. It's good news. He comes to us. Let's look at his life. Now, obviously, I mean, how in the world are we going to cover his life? And we're not. Uh, Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts, begins the book of Acts by saying this, the first account, O Theophilus, I wrote to you of all of what Jesus began to both do and teach. 
He summarized all of what Jesus did in his ministry in those two things. Doing, he manifested, he demonstrated the kingdom of God, and he taught the kingdom of God. In fact, his message was the kingdom of God. And in, if you want to turn with me there quickly, you can go to Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus uh, came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to, that's his message. This is what Jesus was proclaiming. And I want you to, let's hear that. The kingdom, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I used to, as you've maybe heard me say before, I used to wonder what on earth that meant. The kingdom of God is at hand. Because we don't really use that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't say, uh, you know, Paul, I mean, John David, would you mind getting me that cup of coffee that's at hand? You, we don't talk that way. But what is he saying? The kingdom of God is within grasp. Repent. Uh, uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' message was that the kingdom of God, that domain, that spiritual domain that man had been cut off from, from the fall, this spiritual domain in which the perfect will of God is done, kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, that is at hand within grasp. Of course, we're going to see the full demonstration of that when Jesus comes back. We only see it in essence in part, but the message nevertheless is the same that the kingdom has been made accessible. That is, that is, the, that is the message of the life of Jesus is that he comes not just to restore God and man, but to bring the administration of a kingdom. Let me tell you a little bit of what I mean by that. Most of you, in fact, I've got my parents here, by the way, if you haven't met them, meet them some before you leave. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm not going to give them the microphone. <laughs> but if I could, they could, they could testify with uh, uh, explicit detail of some of the things that you already know about me. And, and I, I don't want to in any way, uh, as you know, in any way credit myself or, you know, look at how spiritual I am. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not spiritual. Jesus is spiritual. But when we talk about the administration of the kingdom of God, that changes your life. And I used to uh, have a certain chemical dependence, or not chemical, but psychological dependence on, on uh, uh, substances. And even a social dependence on that. And it was in the aftermath of receiving Jesus as my Lord that it wasn't religion it wasn't church. It wasn't doing good that, that caused me to conform my behavior. It was the inner workings of the Holy Spirit inside of me. In fact, I can remember being a, a senior in high school and, and talking to my dad, sitting right there, uh, and talking about my wrestling with I'm starting to feel bad about getting drunk. And, uh, and you know, I'm the only one in my circle who's, who's perhaps feeling these feelings. What was that? It wasn't me trying to you know, get religion and, and walk the straight and narrow, God in the administration of the kingdom of God inside. That has delivered me from that, that has delivered me from other things that you are aware of that I've spoken of. 
what I want to say is that Jesus has come so that through faith in him, we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us, and the Holy Spirit begins to work out on earth, in our lives, the perfect will of God, transforming us. And while we will continue until he returns to have a sin nature, and this treasure will always, as Paul says, be in earthen vessels. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. Jesus is coming in and through me more and more. Amen, Minda? I'm not going to give you the mic either. I'm not preaching about me. I'm trying to use myself as an example to preach to us that Jesus wants to transform his church, not to, not to get us to be good for him so that he can love us or whatever it is that we think. He already loves us. He's already even accepted us through faith in him, and now he's working in us so that he can do through us what he wants to do if we will allow him. Thirdly is his death. Jesus is the perfect love of God. One of my most uh, favorite scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you want to turn there, you can. Find Acts, then find Romans, then 1 Corinthians, and then you'll find 2 Corinthians. You can skip over chapter 3 of that, even though it's one of my favorite chapters, but the very last verse of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, is certainly one of the most amazing uh, sentences in Scripture. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What are we, what are we talking about here? We are talking about, well, first of all, According to that scripture, if God had to make Jesus the one who knew no sin to become sin, I would imagine that it would be an accurate statement to say that from God's perspective, sin is a big deal. And in our culture and in our generation, we do not like talking like that. Nor do we like defining what sin is, etc. Sin is a big deal. Would you agree? If sin is what created the need for Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, fully God, fully man, to die on a cross, sin was the reason. Sin's a big deal. Sin's creating a, a, a huge problem. We, we, we definitely see that in that scripture. We also see the reality that God is, albeit while he's merciful and, 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 and long-suffering and loving, he is holy. And a holy, righteous God, holy, a just God, cannot be who he is and co-abide sin in his kingdom. Another big problem for us. Why? Because every single human being since the fall of Adam has had a sin nature. And there are none, according to the scripture, who are righteous. Not one. Except for one. <laughs> the one who came as fully God, fully man, and God made him who didn't know sin to become sin for us. What, what, what does that mean? That means sin had to become the object of the wrath of God. 
God, a just and holy God has to punish sin. Has to, he cannot be just without making that right. He has to pour out his wrath upon sin. And the problem is, is that every single human being has sin. The solution is that he made him who knew no sin to become sin and to have the fullness of the wrath of God poured out in those stripes that Jesus bore and the crown of thorns that he took and the cross that he bore and the nails that pierced his feet and his, and his uh, he took the wrath of God. Sin was, he became sin for us. In other words, the exchange is we are the ones who are sinning and yet our sin was placed upon Jesus and Jesus bore the punishment that we might become the righteousness of God, which is to say that we had the sin that was placed on Jesus. Jesus was one who was righteous, and his righteousness was placed on us. I would maybe say Jesus is perfect love. And if you're thinking that your sin has just caused you to not be able to have access and fellowship with this God, I would want to say let's rethink this. Because you're never going to get to a place where you are worthy of the presence of God, of relationship and fellowship with God. You'll never get there. Jesus has said, yes, you do have to repent. And can you please hear me on that? <laughs> We're not talking about sloppy agape, as some people say, cheap grace. We're not talking, there is, the way into the presence of God is to surrender to the one that God sent. Surrender the heart. It's not ticking all the religious Christian boxes and doing all this stuff. He simply wants our heart. But Jesus' death makes us, it shows us the perfect love of God. Listen to, the, listen to this in, in Hebrews. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read this. Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Is this sounding uh, familiar? coming boldly into the holiest by the blood of Jesus in a new and living way by which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Can you say that to yourself? Draw near. That's the call of God in the gospel is draw near to me. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience in our bodies washed with pure water. I just want to remind us, you know, we got this kind of burgundy uh, curtain back here. And I know we talked about this last week, but just indulge me to say it again. In the temple, in the old covenant, in the, in the temple, on the other side of the, of the veil was the holiest of holies where the presence of God was. And no man could go in there except for the high priest once a year to offer sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. They had to tie a, a rope around the high priest's ankle because if he, going into the, the manifested presence of God and being unworthy, would die in that place because of his unworthiness, they would not be able to send anyone else in there to fetch the body because obviously they would die too. And so they had to put a rope around his ankle to pull him out. That's the idea. This place was holy because God is holy and this is where God was. And when Jesus died, according to the Gospel of Matthew, in the moment of his death, it says that the ground began to shake, 
Graves were open. Some saints began to return and walk around Jerusalem. But it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I want you to get that picture. Jesus' death is an invitation to you and me into that the holiest of holies. That is the point of the death of Jesus. Why? Because you cannot enter the presence of a holy God with sin. Therefore, Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. His sacrifice gives us his righteousness so that we can have boldness to enter into the Father's presence. And it is only in the Father's presence that we get changed. We do not get transformed to go into the presence of God. We get transformed by coming into the presence of God. That's the call. And if we get the church to rise up and to enter into what Jesus died to bring us back into, we can see a church transformed and that can bring transformation to the earth. Let's go on. we got two more. You've got space for that. You've got capacity. Resurrection and ascension. I just want to touch quickly on the resurrection. You see the whole thing about what we just said? The, the, the death of Jesus shows us the love, the perfect love of God. The whole issue there is Jesus, if the call of the gospel is to call mankind to follow Jesus, you have to know something of his love. It's hard to follow a leader if you aren't convinced of their intentions towards you. And can I even, just to bring it home and into practicality, can we take stock right now? Because God's call is the same forever. It is to follow my son. He's still saying that to every single human in this room. Every single human. If you're alien, maybe not. But (laughs) I think we're all human. He's still calling that to all of us, and I want you to, to know that there is a, in the wisdom of God, God made this, this issue of sin to become his opportunity to demonstrate his love. If man had never sinned, there never would have been an opportunity for God to have to become the sacrifice for our sin. And by the way, who made the rules that there had to be a sacrifice to atone for sin? Well, who do you think? God's the one who made the rule. Why? Because he wants to become the sacrifice. He wanted a way. What Adam and Eve experienced with God, knowing his presence, was still insufficient. God could say, I love you. Because of our sin, we have seen his love in the person of Jesus. Am I making sense? I want you to take stock if God's, the call of the gospel calls us to follow this Jesus, that God has made a way to show to us the intentions, the benevolent heart of this one that we are called to follow. He, he unequivocally is for our good. He is not exploiting us. He's not going to leave you. Uh, the reason I'm saying this is because often when we talk, think about surrendering to Jesus, now don't play religious with me. Most of us in here know what it is to feel afraid of that concept, right? Why do we feel afraid? Because we don't trust. Why don't we trust? Because that's the sin nature. It doesn't trust and believe in God. And so God has shown us through Jesus, I love you. My intentions are for your good, not for my good at your expense. It's my expense for your good. 
You can follow this one. But it's even better when it's not just love, because you can, in essence, have somebody who has the greatest of intentions but is an impotent leader. And in Jesus, we see the opposite of that, to be sure, in the resurrection. Romans chapter 1, I'll just read this quickly. Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Jesus' complete power that we see through the resurrection. It says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What you just read there is that the resurrection has declared to all of mankind. And there's as much historical evidence of the resurrection as any other thing by, by far in that time period. Jesus rose from the dead and the resurrection declares to all of mankind that Jesus is the Son of God with power. He's not hanging on a cross today. As much as that demonstrates the love, he is alive. And here's the issue. He didn't just pay the price for the problem that we had called sin. He didn't just pay the price for that. He destroyed it. <laughs> he... he, he he had sin put upon him and the wrath of God towards sin placed upon him. And he died a real death. He was categorically, medically dead. He goes into the grave. And the, because Jesus had no sin, death could not hold him down. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus had no sin. Jesus has risen in victory over all of the power of the sin that operates in you and me. We don't just have a leader who loves us and is going to be kind towards us. We have a leader who can actually transform our lives. Who has the goods, who has the power, and it's his love and it's his power together in the death and resurrection of Jesus that causes the heart of man to see in him the perfect leader, the perfect hero, the one who is absolutely worthy of our devotion, our obedience, our following him. He is perfect. He is the fulfillment of every single desire in the heart of mankind. There will never be anything greater than Jesus. He is worthy. He is, following him is not you being such a spiritual good person. Look at me, I'm following him. Following him is the obvious choice to those who have seen who he really is. And God is declaring through the death and resurrection who this Jesus is. And I don't, I don't want to say declaring over mankind, declaring over Sharon, declaring over Paul, declaring over Nita. It's personal. It's, it's his message to us. Jesus is the word of God, the message of God. But can we conclude with this? The ascension of Jesus shows us where he is and who he is now. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with myself and with some of modern Christianity that I think we have made Jesus a little too small. We've looked a couple months ago at the fact that Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus spoke the world into being. 
together with God. He was there at the beginning. Jesus, according to Isaiah, is the everlasting father, as we in English say it, but in the original Hebrew, it would mean that he is the progenitor, he is the one over from which all of eternity comes. He's fully man, yes. He is fully God. And indulge me again, just to share, perhaps some of you have heard this before, but if you look at Revelations chapter 1, did I say Revelations, Rodney? Revelation chapter 1. We see a picture from John the Apostle of Jesus as he exists in this moment, right now, as we sit here. John, who is an apostle and exiled to the island of Patmos, has this experience by the Holy Spirit that he records in the book of Revelation. But John, as many of us would know, John's a little different as one of the gospel writers. You know, there's four gospels. Three of them are called the synoptic gospels. They're very kind of historic and... and uh, you know, calculated in terms of bring, giving a historical record of the life of Jesus, whereas John is known as the poetic gospel. John is heart. John is intimacy. John is talking about truth and believing. And John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's in the uh, resurrection moment, you know, when the disciples get this, this message that Jesus is risen from the tomb, and the 12 apostles are kind of dumb, you know, not even believing it, and, and uh, it, John makes sure to record that Peter and John run to the grave, and John makes sure to make, let us know that it's John that gets there first, and at the Last Supper, John makes sure to record that, that he was leaning upon the breast of Jesus after the supper. There's this picture of intimacy that John specially had as a disciple with Jesus. Are you following? When Jesus was hanging on a cross, it was John. If I remember correctly, he's the only of the apostles that were there. And it was John that Jesus said, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, he was giving specifically to John the care of his mother after he was to leave. There is a special intimate relationship between John the Apostle and Jesus. Intimate. Lying on the breast of, of Jesus. That same John, when he sees a revelation of that same Jesus, as Jesus is today, this is what he writes in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I, John, turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. Here's Jesus. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like, the, were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I, John, saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
the, the glory of God manifesting, the power, the awesomeness of God radiating through this human called Jesus that John saw caused such an overwhelm for John that he fell at his feet and felt as though he was dead. My question to us this morning, is that who Jesus is to us? Maybe because it's so difficult to even come up with words to describe Jesus as he is, let's, can I just read a couple scriptures real quick of what the Apostle Paul, in his attempt to describe Jesus, would say. Ephesians 1.19, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, all authority, power, and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in to come. Paul also says in Philippians 2.8 that being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Therefore, listen to this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' virgin birth shows us that he is fully God, fully God coming to us, fully man sympathizing and being able to actually help us. His life has declared that he is making the way available to the administration of the kingdom of God to us, now in this earth and into eternity. His death is showing us the perfect love of God. His resurrection is showing us the, he has the perfect power of God, and his ascension is declaring he is glorious. He is awesome. He is unfathomable. He is overwhelming. My prayer is that who Jesus is in his glory would be seen by us in his church. That our lives begin to testify to this world. Not of religion, not even of Christianity, if I can say it that way. Of Jesus. Of the real thing. That's what this world needs. Doesn't need more programs and benevolent ideas and things to try to help. We need Jesus. And the way that we get Jesus so that they can see Jesus is simply an issue of the heart. And it's in seeing Jesus that something happens in the heart of mankind. To, and some of you may be feeling it even right now. You know what? I think I am prepared to give him my all. I think I am prepared to yield everything and to worship him and to allow him into those spaces that perhaps I've, in my distrust of him, have held in secret and tried to hide from him that I actually open up my heart and allow him into every single space. Can I say that is where to live? He is the way, not a way, the way, the truth, the life. My suggestion is why don't we end our gathering th this morning and just worship him again. Turn our hearts to him. Declare his glory and his righteousness. Could I have the worship team maybe just join us? And